Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thanks so very much for tuning in. Today we're going to talk about the Democrat kind of meltdown over who's a racist or tactic backfiring. Is Trump's tweet saying go home racist? Ayanna Presley's racist statement. Trump wins a census battle and Seth Rich mystery is revived. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hi, and welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to today's First Five. Well, there's kind of a meltdown happening in Washington, a little bit of a power struggle between Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, and some of the freshman congresswomen, in particular, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And the reason I think it's actually healthy to talk about is that for among the first times ever, the Democrats are turning their endless accusation of racism on each other. You may have noticed, in fact, I've talked about many times on the show, the many, many substantive policy areas that America has to address in, in moving our country forward and in having Congress pass laws. The endless effort of the American left is to categorize anyone's opinion who will not agree with exactly what the left wants to call that person racist. And until very recently, until President Trump came on the scene, pretty much everybody in the right just backs down. They don't want that racist label hurled at them. They don't want that to hurt them in their, re, uh, their re-election efforts and they go back to their constituents and they just back down. The racist label falsely flung by the American left has truly caused many policies to be put forward and passed because conservatives are afraid of being labeled racist. Well, now it's being turned on the Democrats. It's a little bit fun to watch, but it's also very instructional for America to recognize we have to be smarter in recognizing what is racism and what is a false accusation of racism. Apparently, during a closed-door caucus meeting, Nancy Pelosi, so she's got the Democrats elected to Congress uh, in the meeting, she basically last week told them, you know, we need to really be careful, Democratic caucus members, which include Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other of the first-year, very left-wing, very radical leftist members of Congress, we have to try to keep our disagreements internal. We need to not be advertising policy or any other disagreements among ourselves in our tweets and messaging. This did not go over very well with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has in particular been butting heads with Nancy Pelosi over a variety of issues. So last Wednesday, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, in an interview with the Washington Post, said, When these comments first started, I kind of thought that she, referring to Pelosi, uh, was keeping the progressive flank at more of an arm's distance in order to protect more moderate members, which I understood. But the persistent singling out, it got to a point where it was just outright disrespectful. The explicit singling out of newly elected women of color. This is what the accusation that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez First year, first term member of Congress from upstate New York. You know, I mean, from, from New York, a very uh, a left-wing radical, outright socialist, um, and, and just endless hurler of the racist accusation against anyone who won't agree with her on anything. 
She's now hurling that accusation at the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, against her own party. Of course, Nancy Pelosi didn't take that too well. Some other Democrats jumped to Pelosi's defense. The most hilarious jumping to Pelosi's defense happened when Donald Trump spoke up. The president, the Republican, who disagrees with Nancy Pelosi and pretty much everything, but even President Trump said, I'll tell you something about Nancy Pelosi that you know better than I do. He's speaking to the press. She is not a racist, okay? She's not a racist. For them to call her a racist is a disgrace. So Trump sided with Pelosi against AOC, probably further uh, making life difficult for Nancy Pelosi. But the other interesting thing about this was that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tried to do a comeback about this, and she tried to essentially say, even though I said she's picking on women of color, I didn't mean to say she's a racist. And she actually, Pelosi used some expression like, these stupidly, and I want to see, I asked a friend if they could, um, it's just pointing out the pattern, it's worth asking why, uh, but she ultimately said, uh, it's absolutely not, absolutely not, she, Cortez is saying she's not calling Pelosi a racist. She has some tweet where she said stupidly ignorant or something like that for anyone to conclude that because she said Pelosi is picking on women of color that she was calling Pelosi a racist. I don't know, I think most people probably took it that way. But the other similar thing, the use of racism as an accusation to shut other people down in a political competition, happened in the Democrat uh, debate last week. The 20 different presidential candidates in their debate, we had on one of the evenings, we had the um, Kamala Harris, the Repo Democrat senator from California, uh, running, and she's uh, black, and she's running for president, and she was picking on Joe Biden, also on stage with her as one of the candidates for president, and she really attacked him, Biden, on his statements he made with respect to working with some other members of the U.S. Senate years ago who were avowed open racists. Biden had said, hey, you know, sometimes I work with them, didn't agree with everything, we got things done, and you know, you, whether you do or don't think that's okay, uh, that was years ago, but Kamala Harris actually chose to leap on that in the presidential debate, and it actually appears to have hurt Biden in his uh, how he's doing, all the polling showing people are backing off from him. In part, he was stung or hurt by Kamala Harris's uh, implied uh, uh, argument that he was racist somehow. Just stop and think of the absurdity. This is a senior white Democrat, been in Congress for decades and in the Senate, who agreed to and did serve as the vice president of the United States under the first black president ever elected. Biden did that, but Kamala Harris is going to call him a racist. And, you know, I got to say, folks, the reason I want to hit this story, we're going to talk about several aspects of this, because obviously the whole racist argument came up again with respect to the tweet, a uh, series of tweets President Trump put out that relate to the um, statements by some radical leftist members of the Democrat Party who have just been more and more vociferously and in a very ugly manner critical of just America critical of America. And finally, Trump's tweets last week, as you, or earlier this week, you likely saw, caused some people to uh, step back aghast and say, my gosh, this is terrible, this is horrible. But to wrap up today's first five, this is a healthy discussion in America to recognize the obnoxious, profound overuse of the racist name-calling by the American left 
hurling the term racist against anyone who disagrees with them on any policy whatsoever. I've done other shows run through the number of policies where the left says our position is on whatever it is, border security, uh, taxation policy, uh, environmental policy, uh, government assistance programs, on and on and on. The left manages to find some argument that if conservatives won't agree with them, that it's because of racism. This is a great discussion for America to have, to get real and honest and, and more accurate about the use of that term. Because the truth is, there is some racism in America. Not nearly the profound level of racism the left has tried to portray, but real racism does happen. Real racist actions do occur. When they occur, we need to examine them, understand the problem, and try to fix it. What the left has done is dumbed down our perception and understanding of what real racism is by their, their just grotesque overuse of the term every time they want to shut down political opposition. I am going to turn next in the show to be talking about what President Trump said in his tweet that has become so controversial and to say it's really part of the great solution to re-identifying what it means to say racist and when that term has been wrongly used to criticize the people who overuse it and wrongly use it. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I do want to turn to the tweets and we've had a lot of um, discussion over the last um, several days, uh, President Trump put out a tweet or actually a series of tweets related to some of the statements that were made by um, especially uh, Representative Ilhan Omar, the uh, Muslim um, Democrat woman elected. She's a, a native Somalian. She's a refugee. She's a citizen in Minnesota. She became a member of the U.S. Congress. It's her first term. Trump in a series of tweets, criticized her along with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashid Tlaib, who is the uh, another, um, I don't know if she's a refugee or she's a child of refugees, I think. She's the daughter of refugees, but she's relatively newly American. Uh, she's from Michigan. She's also Muslim. She's also black. And she's also very, very, very critical of President Trump. And the final one being a representative from New York, Ayanna Presley. Those four have now been called the squad. And a lot of people use that term squad. Just refer to them kind of like, or the other term is the mean girls. Um, I will tell you as an aside, I, uh, driving home from the show yesterday, I was talking with a friend who said, you know, I really, I just, I thought I should listen. I thought I should try to understand what it is this squad, the mean girls squad, is saying. What are they so upset about? And so, you know, they had a press conference yesterday, and I thought, listening to my friend, well, I'm going to get home and listen to it. I, I can stand and listen to it. I'm telling you, folks, I couldn't stand it. Could not stand to listen to the rubbish coming out of their mouths. But let me, I digress. I want to talk about President Trump's tweet. The specific question is, is saying in his tweets, go home, is that racist? To be clear what Trump said, these are his, the basic tweets that have gotten so much controversial coverage. Um, Trump just said, it's so interesting to see progressive Democrat Congresswomen who originally come from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, even if they have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. So that series of tweets has launched a firestorm in Washington. P 
people on the left and their willing allies in the mainstream media, or as I call them, the Democrat media mob, have piled on these three tweets and other similar tweets by President Trump relating to his criticism of the uh, the Mean Girls, the squad, and their endless, relentless criticism of America. And they've attacked those ra- those tweets as racist. And so the argument, in fact, many of the uh, much of the news stories start out that the caption will say, "Racist tweets by President." Racist tweets. I really want to ask us to just take one moment to actually think about why is it you say that's racist? What is racist in saying go home? I said about. For example, Bernie Sanders, who's uh, you know a Native American. I mean, he's a, a born in America, been here many generations here. He's constantly advocating for and lobbying for the greatness of socialism. You know, it's a great thing. And my answer is, socialism has no place in America. Has no place. So, if Bernie Sanders really, really likes socialism, why doesn't he go there? Why doesn't he move to Venezuela or or move to Cuba or move to one of the uh, Scandinavian countries he's always bragging about, where, by the way, socialism and socialized medicine is falling apart. Governments are falling in the, in the uh, Scandinavian countries because there's no possible way to fund the, uh, the social programs that they try to cover. But I digress. People have made that comment about many, many people if you like your country so much so much better than where you came from than here, if you like socialism so much better than the, the free market country you came to, go back where you came. Nothing Trump said is racist. I want to play a clip now. We have one clip uh, from President Trump as he's addressing the uh, media. I believe he's walking outside the White House. A quick clip for President Trump. We'll have, just have him, let me play this and then we'll talk about it. I didn't do that, but I will tell you, with our country, and I think everybody in this audience, these are great manufacturers. Great workers in our audience, too. They brought a lot of their workers here. Uh, If you're not happy here, then you can leave. As far as I'm concerned, if you hate our country, if you're not happy here, you can leave. And that's what I say all the time. That's what I said in a tweet, which I guess some people think is controversial. A lot of people love it, by the way. A lot of people love it. But if you're not happy in the U.S., if you're complaining all the time, very simply, you can leave. You can leave right now. Okay, folks, that was, this is uh, President Trump. You know, the, I used to get uh, bothered by people who said he's always, you know, he, he's playing uh, chess. He's always four moves ahead. He's, uh, you know, on this particular case, he's really helped to expose the, uh, his, uh, what the left is all about. When he is saying go home, he's not talking about race. He's not talking about ethnicity. He's not talking about skin color. He's not talking about national origin. He's talking about the hating America, the hating on America left-wing mindset that has just engulfed, especially the Mean Girls squad, the, the four Mean Girls who spend all their time criticizing America. Hatred of America has engulfed their, their political worldview. It's how they talk is what they think. This is a brilliant stroke on his part. He's saying, look, you don't have to stay. But he's really pointing out that what the Mean Girls squad is trying to do is radically, radically change America. He's saying your ideas don't belong here. Your Islamism, your support of Islam, your refusal to denounce Al-Qaeda, your socialism, your just rampant hatred of freedom and free markets and success and prosperity, your hate of the American culture and the founding ideas of America. If you really hate 
hate those things, you can leave. But his tweet and his comments afterward, he is saying essentially, he's defending America, you American people, you better understand what the left is really all about. So he's really, he's put the left in a tough position because they actually don't want to defend the, the radical hatred of America spewing out of the mouths of the Mean Girls squad. But they also don't want to be seen sad, as siding with Trump. So it's, it's a, I thought it was a brilliant stroke on his part. I told you I tried to listen briefly to the uh, Mean Girls Squad uh, presser they had yesterday. And, you know, I, I, I'm not joking. When I, I think it's just a perfect name for them. But they are, um, you know, they are four first-term members of the U.S. Congress. Ayanna Presley, um, who's African-American. Uh, two are of Muslim origin. One is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's uh, from Minnesota, but she came here from Somalia as a refugee. Rashid Tlaib is another one who's a Muslim congresswoman from Michigan. Um, as I say, I think she might be second generation. And then, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the... Um, the mouthpiece of Democrat socialism. He's really helping America focus on what they're advocating and saying it's un-American. And it's interesting because I went to try to listen to their uh, the Mean Girls Squad uh, press conference. And you know, one thing they tried to do, they kept trying to tie Trump to, they use the expression, white nationalism. They said, he's saying that to us because we don't have the same skin color as he does, and he's trying to say that people who aren't white should go home. And you know something? I don't think it's working. This is why I'm, I'm really glad President Trump is not backing down, as many, many conservatives have. They go, oh, I don't want to be called that. Okay, I'll back down. I'll stop. He didn't say anything about their skin color. He's talking about their ideas. And there, again, the left-wing default if anyone calls out anything you do, then you call them a racist. When they call Trump a white nationalist, they're calling him a racist. And what Trump is defending, the idea of freedom, free markets, the goodness of America, the unwillingness to, to not allow, to let the uh, willingness to fight against uh, Islamization of America, all the things that Trump stands for is what are there things America wants. And so I think that it's really going to end up happening is that this effort of the left to stir up the media to try to claim this is Trump and white nationalism, it's going to backfire. I know that the left has to, and this is the other dilemma, which is so delicious that Trump has created. What does Nancy Pelosi say? Does she say, yeah, actually, um, you know, I'm really with them. I, lo I love socialism. I think it's a great thing. Um, I really want to have America embrace socialism. I really think we should support Al-Qaeda. It's a great thing. What is Nancy Pelosi going to say? And here, Trump's even the one who jumped to her defense. Last thing on this topic, and why it is really a little bit of a litmus test thing, is because Trump is willing to take the stand to say, we don't shut down the discussion. We who love America, who defend America, and want America to be the home for all people every, of every race, ethnicity, and national origin and skin color who will agree with the ideas of America, which include freedom and free markets, which include secure borders, which include workable immigration laws. These things that Trump is standing for, the majority of America is with him. He knows it, and I do think that his willingness to stand up is really going to help in more and more Americans seeing that we've been pushed around too long by the left in embracing this idea that somehow, uh, if the, once the left says socialist, we all, once the left says racist, we all have to shut up. We all go, well, I don't, I'm, I'm going to stop talking now because the left said the R words. So I'm going to be quiet. Trump is saying, no, you don't have to. You don't have to. When you're falsely accused of being racist, you still speak up. I will say a few brave people on the right have stood up for what Trump is saying and what he, the content of his tweets. 
actually, surprisingly, Senator Rand Paul um, has said, you know, nothing racist about that. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham has stood up. And the one who gave the most lengthy uh, statement was a senator named um, Steve Daines from uh, Montana, Republican senator, who just said he's sick and tired of hearing Democrats attack America and its founding principles. Sick and tired of hearing uh, anti-Americanism, people being anti-Semitic, radical Democrats who trash our country and our ideals. This is America. We're the greatest country in the world. This guy, Steve Daines, standing with Trump. I wish there were more Republicans doing it because I don't think this, this effort by the American left to characterize Trump's tweets as saying, if you hate America so much, you can leave. By the way, he's not saying you have to leave. He's not kicking him out. He's saying, if you hate it, why are you here? Go ahead and go home. I'm telling you, folks, I think Trump is helping to shift the American political conversation and, rec- and, and number two, just not surrendering once the left says racism, going, okay, I'll stop. Number two, he's helping more and more Americans realize how, how what, tired and extreme and unjustified the American left tactic is of calling everything a racist and every person a racist and every idea of it's that suggests racism if someone dares to disagree with the left. He's helping to fix and really uplift the American political conversation. Love that. Next thing I want to turn to is I mentioned one of the uh, the um, Mean Girl Squad, you know, the uh, four women who were particularly the brunt of President Trump's accusations. One of them is a a newly elected Democrat member of Congress from New York named Ayanna Presley. And she was part of the Mean Girl Squad, you know, presser yesterday. They all spoke. It was just no one addressed the substance of what Trump is saying. No one addressed why is it okay that Ayan Hirsali, you know, has called out Ilhan Omar, called out Ilhan Omar as a, as a, um, just a, a, anti-Semite, that her anti-Semitism is rooted in her Islamic teaching. None of those women got up there to say anything about anti-Semitism. They didn't say, you know, that Ilhan Omar was out of line and the kind of things she says are so anti-Semitic, they're so anti-Jewish. No one, all they did was spend their time talking about their radical left-wing agenda, which is open borders, don't detain anyone at the border, free health care for everybody, free education for everybody. They pushed their agenda all under the guise of calling Trump a white nationalist. I want you to hear what Ayan Ayanna Presley, this is now again the, the uh, Democrat Congresswoman from New York, what she said at a Netroots convention very recently. I hope we have this happy clip. Ayanna Presley from at Netroots convention. Here she is. We don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't need Muslims that don't want to be a Muslim voice. We don't need queers that don't want to be a queer voice. Come on, speak it. She's being cheered on for saying a truly, genuinely racist thing. What you just heard Ayanna Presley, a member of the United States Congress, say is that if you have black skin, you are only welcome in her political world if you will salute to and surrender to precisely the views on the policies and issues she stands for. You're only welcome if you agree with her. She said the same thing about black people, brown people. She used the word queer, referring to the LGBT community. She's basically saying, don't even think of speaking up in this country if you're a person of color unless you completely 100% submit to the left-wing agenda that Ayanna Presley holds, the left-wing agenda Ayanna Presley pushes. 
This is the most racist thing in the world, more racist than anything that I have heard out of a politician in a long time. Understand what she's saying. She's saying, if based on your skin color, she, the ruling elite Ayanna Presley, will tell you what you're allowed to think. She'll tell you that you have no place in politics if you have a certain skin color unless you salute to exactly what she thinks. She's telling you, based on your skin color, what you're allowed to think. And that if you don't think what she thinks, you should just shut up. This is her opinion. This is obviously what her statement was cheered on by the radical left at the Netroots convention. But what she's saying is people of color are not allowed to think that they can only hold opinions that she agrees with. That if people of color dare to speak up and they don't agree with her on her radical left-wing views, they should just shut up. They should just stay out of politics. The most racist thing of all is to judge someone by the color of their skin. That's the whole point of the idea of racism. It is judging someone by the color of their skin and saying, because you have this color of skin, I don't need to hear a word out of you. I don't need to know anything about your education, anything about your background, anything about your career. Because you have this skin color, I already know these things about you. I associate these qualities about you, these limitations about you, these uh, viewpoints about you. She's saying you, that she judges people by their color. She's saying she does not believe in the respect of the individual, which is the whole point of fighting racism. The whole point of fighting racism is to respect the individual and the right of the individual to form his or her views based on their education, their life experience, their faith, their values, their opinions. She's saying no. No, no thinking. If you're a person of color, no thinking for you. You're only welcome in politics. And, and she's, you know, she tries to talk about, uh, in fact, her, the expression of it was, you know, you have, we have no need for blacks, gays, and Muslims who will not play identity politics. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. She's deciding what, a black, what it means to be a black voice. She's saying, to me, to be a black voice, you must agree with her on leftism, on every idiotic left-wing idea she has. Otherwise, she's saying to black America, shut up. This is racism, raw, pure, in your face. And this is, frankly, she's a good example of it. And frankly, one of the more uh, the times we actually get a little bit of a window inside left-wing thinking. She's not unique in this at all. She's just, she got you know, exposed a bit because she chose to speak at a conference where people love her racist idea that people of color, people who are black shouldn't run unless they'll be a black voice in her definition, which means black, which means radical left-wing policies. She got caught, but what she's saying is really the core, the root of, of much of the thinking on the American left. They, of all people, judge people by the color of their skin. And I'm going to turn to another topic entirely. I want to hit, you know, we, we had, I think, three or four shows in which I was on the subject of whether or not President Trump should continue to push the idea of putting a citizenship, 
citizenship question on the census. And I'm not going to go through all the detail of it again. Obviously, the leftists in this country did not want to have the census, which must be done under the Constitution, must be done next year, did not want to have a question related to citizenship because the left expressed fear that some people would not respond to the census if, the, if there was a question on the census that said, are you a citizen? Contrary to the lies of the left, some question about citizenship has been on the U.S. Census or some subset, because not every person gets precisely the same census. The question about not only citizenship, but where were you born was on the U.S. Census for 100 years. And even in the most recent years, in some subset of the people who received the census, they got the question, are you a citizen? So it is the left has tried to lie and say this is again, this is again, the left's constant you know go-to position call it a racist claim someone who wants to do something we don't like call it racist they were calling trump a racist because he wanted to put the question on the census that has been there for a hundred plus years and the question was on the census uh, in very recent years only president obama tried to really uh, to take it off in 2010. so legal battle ongoing i'm not going to go into details again today because i did it a couple times but end of the story was the census had to go to print it was uh, decided not to push it to get this question on the census but president trump instead issued an executive order and in case you miss this president trump's executive order said he would sign here's what he said he would sign an executive order requiring all federal agencies to provide the commerce department with all requested records in quotes all requested records on the number of citizens and non-citizens in the country so commerce department the agency that does the uh, census is going to be given information from all other federal agencies relating to what we happen what we do or don't know about citizens and non-citizens in the country how much the census people the the commerce from people can put that together i don't know but we're eventually going to have at least the best information we can about the number of people living within the United States who are citizens versus those with some legal status here are not citizen but are legal and then the number completely not with, with no legal right to be here at all. And you know, once you tally up the number of real citizens, the number of people with legal right to be here, some kind of visa or green card situation, the remaining number that turns up that, that is measured in the census, or you know, it's a fair conclusion, the vast majority of them are not legal citizens. So two points about this census thing. You know, I think ultimately the battle was really hard and President Trump decided we're gonna have the census on time, so we did it. But the great thing, the great outcome for the American people of this battle over the census content is this. More and more American people started to think about, I wonder how many people are in our country who are not citizens? How many people are there? I mean, the, the estimates range, allegedly the most you know, reasonable, somewhere between 21 and 24 million people out of America's, whatever we are, 325 million, um, are, not, are here illegally. No legal right to be here, no legal status to be here. Estimates, of course, go much higher, some go lower, but many people started thinking about the number of people not here legally, Number two, the fact that those people, when they're counted in the census, therefore end up getting counted and the number of people in a state that then allows that state to do a tabulation, the number of people in the state, that determines the number of seats you have in the U.S. Congress, 
Uh, one estimate was that California has nine more members in the U.S. Congress than they should if we were not counting illegal aliens, people with no legal right to be here, in the census, and that number that then determines the number of people that are in Congress, and then that, of course, determines Electoral College. So Trump helped make the point for the American people. And number three, the question of people, more and more people realizing, why is it the Democrats were so determined so determined to prevent America from understanding how many illegal aliens live within our borders. This was a great gift to the entire political conversation, and Trump is going to end up with something approximating the answer anyway. In fact, the way he's done this, it may not be that different in terms of how conclusive the information is as if, as if he had been able to put the question on the census, because I think that the critics of that question on the census were right, that a fair number of people would say, you know, it's going to ask my citizenship, and I'm just here illegally, and they wouldn't have filled it out. And so, you know, he may end up with, roughly speaking, uh, accurate information anyway. Okay. One last story I want to hit today, and honestly, I debated making this the first story, but all the other ones kind of flowed together. This is the most amazing story that I want to loop back to. I have covered on this show for the last five years, on and off, the uh, whole allegation of uh, Trump-Russia collusion and all the pieces that, that gave rise to the suspicion that President Trump, uh, which is now completely debunked, the, the, the uh, allegation that President Trump has somehow colluded with the Russians to impact the outcome of the 2016 election. And we've been over and over this story. I'm just going to focus on one piece of it today because it's an amazing, amazing development that has occurred. Keep in mind the entire reason the Trump-Russia collusion hoax allegations, the lie got started, the fantasy got started, was because somehow during the 2016 election cycle, somebody had hacked in to the DNC's server, the Democrat National Committee's server, or even be more precise, not necessarily hacked in. Someone had access to the DNC server and had released emails that embarrassed Hillary Clinton, released them to uh, Julian Assange, who then in turn published them on WikiLeaks. So the WikiLeaks kind of weekly leak, and what are they going to put out? It was all you know interesting, and people were kind of waited every week for the next thing. What's WikiLeaks going to put out this week during the 2016 presidential cycle to see you know what is all the latest that we have out of these um, these. Uh, extraordinary um, you know, emails, you're just really getting a window inside the Hillary Clinton campaign. So you may remember the name Seth Rich, and Seth Rich was a DNC staffer. He worked for the Democrat National Committee, huge Bernie Sanders supporter, did not support Hillary. And Seth Rich was murdered on July 10th, 2016. It was a murder in the District of Columbia, and the police, uh, and it was a very late at night slash early morning. Uh, he was murdered, you know, on a, a, a public street or a sidewalk, I guess, but in public, not, not in his home. And uh, even though he was murdered, he was shot in the back, the, uh, his wallet wasn't taken. His, uh, I guess he had a nice watch on that wasn't taken. Nothing was stolen. He was just killed. Police categorized it as a robbery gone bad, never arrested anybody, never discovered um, anybody um, to, be, to have been responsible. Well, there is a piece of litigation now ongoing. The complaint became public. And I want you to try to follow this. It's so, so interesting in trying to get at the story. It relates back to the DNC server. It relates back to the entire Russia-Trump collusion. Here is the story. 
there is a businessman named Ed Batowski. He happens to live here in Texas, Ed Batowski. He has filed a defamation lawsuit, a lawsuit claiming he was defamed and harmed by that defamation by statements made by others in which he was accused essentially of falsely uh, reporting on, characterizing, looking into the question um, of the um, of what really happened to Seth Rich and who really hacked into the DNC server. One other little piece I want to make sure you understand. The DNC server, the, what you'd have to look at to figure out who hacked in, was never examined by the FBI. The only entity that actually had the ability and got was given access to look at the DNC server and figure out who had accessed those emails, who had released them to Julian Assange, who then put them out on WikiLeaks, was an organization called CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike is not a government agency. It is a private entity chosen by the Democrats. CrowdStrike was given access to the DNC servers. They're the one that reached a conclusion that the DNC servers, examination of those servers proved that it was the Russians who hacked in to the DNC servers. This Russia hacked the DNC servers became one of the bases for the argument that somebody maybe helped them, that maybe Trump-Russia collusion happened because the CrowdStrike people were the ones who said their investigation, their forensic investigation in the server said it was Russia hacking. FBI never got to look at the servers. The Mueller team not only did not look at the servers, the Mueller team didn't even look at the summary provided by CrowdStrike. Everybody just took as a given, well, CrowdStrike said it was the Russians, the end. Okay, now we go forward to this lawsuit today. So Ed Batowski files this lawsuit. The basis of this lawsuit is because he's saying he was defamed. This lawsuit alleges that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange confirmed to Fox News analyst Ellen Ratner, R-A-T-N-E-R, Ellen Ratner, that the DNC leaked emails were given to WikiLeaks by Seth Rich and his brother Aaron. So Seth Rich, a guy working for the DNC, unhappy, perhaps, that the DNC is obviously pushing this primary toward Hillary and against his guy, Bernie Sanders. But this allegation is that the WikiLeaks founder himself, Julian Assange, the one who would be in a position to know, told a Fox News person, Ellen Ratner, that the DNC leaked emails were received from Seth Rich and not, therefore, from the Russians. Assange is saying he got the emails from Seth Rich, not the Russians. Let me move on with this. Ellen Ratner, she was a news analyst for Fox News, a White House correspondent for Talk Media News. She, Ellen Ratner, reached out to this guy, Ed Batowski, in the fall of 2016 about a meeting that she, Ellen Ratner, had with Assange. She had this connection because her brother was an attorney who represented Assange. According to Ratner, she made a stop in London during a return flight from Berlin, met with Assange for approximately six hours in the Ecuadorian embassy. Ms. Ratner said Mr. Assange told her that Seth Rich and his brother Aaron were responsible for releasing the DNC emails to WikiLeaks. Ratner said to Batowski, Mr. Assange wanted the information relayed 
to Seth Rich's parents. So it might explain the motive for Seth's murder. Compounded with that, so this is now in a public filing, in a lawsuit that's been filed, and people are realizing what this guy is saying. Compounded with that, a former Republican congressman a Repu from California, a congressman named Dana Rohrabacher, in the FBI submission to the grand jury in December 2017, um, the Dana Rohrabacher, I'm sorry, backing up, Dana Rohrabacher, the, US, the former Republican U.S. congressman, said he talked to Assange in August of 2017. Julian Assange told this congressman on Tuesday he can prove, so Julian Assange is saying this, he can prove the leaked Democrat Party documents he published during last year's election did not come from Russia and promised additional helpful information about the leaks in the near future. Rohrabacher, California Republican, friendly to Russia, and chairs an important House subcommittee on Eurasia policy, became the first American congressman to meet with, his, with Assange during a three-hour private gathering at the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where WikiLeaks uh, founder has been holed up for years. And he, this is Rohrabacher's statement, Julian emphatically stated that the Russians were not involved in the hacking or disclosure of these emails. Folks, I want you to, it's almost impossible to overstate the importance of what I was just telling you. First of all, people on the conservative side, you know, for example, I mean, even just Sean Hannity got told by Fox News, stop talking about this Seth Rich conspiracy. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. You make us look bad. Stop talking about it. Everybody who tries to mention that, and other, one other huge piece of this is that the volume of emails that were extracted from the DNC server and provided to WikiLeaks, there were numerous pieces of testimony by experts saying is too much information that anyone could not have gotten it by hacking. The, and I'm not a computer expert, but people were trying to say at the time, there's too much here, this couldn't have come from hacking. It had to have been downloaded by someone with access to those servers. So back to Seth Rich's story. Folks, I'm aware that some of you listening may be thinking, okay, you know, everyone's heard this conspiracy theory, and it's a conspiracy theory, and there's nothing to it. Well, I'm gonna tell you folks, I hear a lot of crazy conspiracy theories. People email them to me, actually. I don't listen to them. And I'm, I'm well aware of the importance of facts mattering and truth mattering. I'm also very aware of how preciously guarded this secret would be if it turned out that Seth Rich is the one who got the information off the DNC server and gave it to WikiLeaks, gave it to Julian Assange, because the inside job by the DNC, by Seth Rich, would destroy the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax. The whole reason we got into this discussion was because the Russians hacked, and therefore, who helped them? Must have been Trump. This would, if this were true, this would completely obliterate the entire the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax. It would also call into question, and frankly, I'm kind of wondering, this is one reason that Mueller is dragging his feet and now not testifying in Congress, as he was called, had agreed to do apparently this week. Mueller's now saying, nah, not yet. Mueller should be asked by the Republicans, why didn't you demand that the FBI be given the DNC servers to examine themselves? Why didn't anyone on your team look at the CrowdStrike report? Why didn't you want to know what was in the CrowdStrike report? Why did everyone just salute to the CrowdStrike summary of allegedly showing, proving that the DNC servers were hacked by the Russians? 
The Mueller team looks bad, the FBI looks bad, the DNC looks bad. This story is the most explosive story really in the news today. There's much more detail to it, but I can't go into it today. But I want to plant the seed to say this. You're going to hear hysteria out of the left over the next several days trying to obliterate the credibility of this guy, Batowski, who's laid this out in a complaint, who says this is exactly what happened. Ellen Ratner came back. She told me what Assange said. And he did, by the way, communicate with Seth Rich's parents. That'll have to wait for another, another day, another story. And I'll come back to that because I'm out of time today. But understand the left's hysteria over the mission to make this out to be a, a nutty conspiracy theory is will be on steroids. And secondly, there is ver a lot of kind of uh, virtue signaling, self-righteous superiority uh, in assessing stories like this. Or people like to, they want to convey that they're really savvy. So they say, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to be duped by that kind of stuff. Okay, conspiracy theory, come on. To, to call it a conspiracy theory, to rise above it, to say I, I'm just too astute, too learned, too intellectual, too savvy to be sucked in by this. This is what you will hear from many people, uh, even on the, on the right, who don't want to be, look, to, make, to be mocked, to be, made, to be criticized, to be characterized as foolish, as thinking in, into thinking this Seth Rich story has some legs to it. But it is, at the end of the day, irrefutable fact that Batowski has been saying this all along, he finally put it in a lawsuit because he's been he's suing people for defamation for criticizing him for saying it. And there there apparently are records of communications back and forth between Batowski, Seth Rich's parents, and others that must be explained if none of this ever happened, if Assange never told uh, this Ellen Ratner that he got the information from Seth Rich. And frankly, Congressman Dana Rohrabacher making this up? I don't think so. So my friends, we are sadly out of time for this episode of America Can We Talk? And I want to turn, as I always do at the close of our show, I want to remind you that I do this show because I love this country. I want to protect and preserve this country. And I want to always share with you why the stories I've talked about matter to you. So here's why the stories matter to you. To start with, this uh, racist tactic used by the left, we need to be exhausted and tired of it. AOC going after Pelosi for calling out women of color. Harris goes after Biden who was Barack Obama's eight-year vice president for racist thinking. When everyone and everything is racist, then no one and nothing is racist. The race card is an exhausted tactic. Let's all stop honoring it and stop being afraid of it. This is go home, where Trump's go home tweets racist. Socialism, communism, Islamist ideology, they have no fit with American and American-style liberty. Socialists, communists, Islamists, these are not races. This has nothing to do with race. Islam has nothing to do with race. These have nothing to do with race. These are people who embrace anti-American ideas. They are, in fact, free to leave. They are free to leave. They can go back to socialist, communist, Islamic countries if they love it so much. And why shouldn't they? What's wrong with asking them to leave if this is what they prefer? But the, the core of the question is, do these ideas belong in America? And my answer, and I hope your answer is, America should never conform to their demands, change our country and lose our liberty to humor their very anti-American ideas. On Ayanna Presley's mantra, we don't need any more black faces that don't want to be a black voice. That's Representative, Democrat Representative Ayanna Presley said at Netroots. This is demanding that the color of your skin dictate what thinking you're permitted to have. This is textbook 
racism should be denounced as such by everyone. Trump winning the census war, you know, Supreme Court used legal sophistry, I didn't go into it today, but they really did, to thwart the census questionnaire. Trump is using a straightforward executive order to gather the, cens the citizenship information targeted by the census questionnaire. The left won the questionnaire battle, but they're losing the war on the importance of citizenship. This is good for America. And the Seth Rich mystery revived. This new lawsuit points to DNC staffer Seth Rich, Seth Rich as a source of DNC leaked emails. The post-leak murder of Seth Rich in Washington remains officially unsolved. Mueller never examined the DNC server. The report made no effort to prove Russia hacked DNC's emails. CrowdStack exam of the server accepted without question. Potential implications of this information in this new lawsuit, the entire RCH Russia collusion hoax and the Mueller investigation, one big fat fraud. Stand by for deep state suppression and obfuscation. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please tune in every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Oh, I, oh, if you're listening on YouTube, thank you. I have a lot of new YouTube, YouTube subscriptions. If you email me, if you watch us on YouTube, email me at AmericaCanWeTalk at gmail.com. I can put you on my email list for once a week only email summarizes the highlights of the show it's a great way to stay in touch and i urge you to do that because i'd love to have regular conversations back and forth with these uh, many new subscribers on youtube and again thanks for listening talk to you tomorrow and speak up every day for the idea that america matters and i hope you think so too talk to you tomorrow Talk. Truth about America. Can